0: It's all things reg tech. Trends in modernizing compliance through regulatory technology. Thinking forward, how to better prepare for what regulators are looking for. What are enterprises doing when they're covered by multiple regulators? And what can technology do to help reduce false positives without enabling critical defects to fall through the cracks? All this and more on this episode of Wealth Management Today. episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and their technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's ezragrou pco for more information. And welcome to the world of wealth tech. This is your host, Craig Eskowitz. I'm a consultant in wealth management and I run a consulting firm that helps banks, broker dealers, asset managers, RIAs, and fintech firms with technology strategy decisions. And this is my podcast and I try to present information to help the industry deep dive into different areas of wealth tech, wealth management, and basically talk about stuff that I find interesting, and I hope you do too. Today is all about compliance trends, technology for reg tech, Uh, how you can improve technology uh, usage in compliance, how you can uh, become more compliant, uh, some uh, tips and tricks, best practices around compliance, and. false positives and the number of reviews, lots of good best practices um, and uh, information from across many, many firms, uh, and data being pulled from these firms, how they're using technology, how they're improving their compliance, oversight. Uh, firms that have broker-dealers, trust divisions, and RIA divisions, regulations leading to best practices, oversight. Uh, did you know the OCC administered almost $800 million in fines in 2018? and That's up like 90% from 2017. So this is uh, an area that can cost you a lot of money. Uh, so this type of, these type of best practices and shared industry trends, I think, are really helpful. And uh, today we talk with a chief technology officer from a major regulatory technology firm. So I think you're going to really like this. So let's get started.
1: And welcome to another episode of Wealth Management Today. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to have Jeff Cowley. Chief Technology Officer of Investing.
2: The compliance is, of course, is a necessary evil in the investment management side of the business here um, on the bank trust side of it. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm excited. This is all about compliance. And while some people think compliance is boring, people who have been fined or been hit with the audits know it's not a boring topic at all, and it's something everyone needs to be focused on. So I'm really happy you're here to talk about it we've done some work together and we've been in the industry a long time. And, you know, I've seen you guys build out a lot of great compliance solutions. So I thought it'd be great to talk to you. Uh, and, and would, you've got over a hundred, uh, bank trust clients and you do a lot of compliance work. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing in the compliance business around centralization of activity or outsourcing or business segmentation?
2: Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that a couple of the things that, our customers are starting to look at is how can they efficiently manage the process, right? what's their way of meeting their regulatory needs, and then also their corporate risk needs, right? So, you know, they they offer as fiduciaries, they're offering investment management services to their customers. And as part of that, they have to make sure that their business practices, their process, and their procedures as around, around investment management are aligned to what they're selling to their customer. Um, so some of the trends that we're starting to see out there is, you know, there's a lot more of the, in the, probably 10 years ago a lot of our customers the front office folks the investment advisor the relationship person the portfolio manager the administrative the trust administrator those people were the people that were responsible for the for the compliance activity right they were making sure that they were adhering to the what we call in the on the bank trust side of this the OCC reg 9 investment and administrative review process We're starting to see that now being handled by specific and specialized teams at the firm, right? Trying to take some of that compliance work off of the front office and sort of move it to the middle office or to the back office itself. One other thing that we're starting to see is firms are looking at ways that they might be able to outsource this activity. So, in other words, maybe there is the ability to hire consultants to handle a piece of this, or to outsource the work. Um, we actually have uh, we're piloting with a very large bank, and they're actually using offshore resources in India to address some of the tasks and some of the items that need to be addressed as part of the, uh, you know, as part of their administrative review
1: process. Uh, okay, right. So, when they're, they're outsourcing more of their compliance, how do they make sure that? They, they maintain the standards they need to, to, to be able to hand, answer to regulators.
2: Right. So, so the first thing that the regulators very much are, are, are concerned with is process and documentation. Right? So our customers, they'll typically have a chief compliance officer or a compliance committee, and they'll define all of those processes and procedures, and they'll document those procedures. Right, so that's the first step of the process here. The story you always hear is, you know, when the NCAA comes down da- comes down hard on a firm, right? They a lot of times they'll they'll for some type of nefarious activity around student athletes, they'll talk about institutional control. So the first key concept that our customers and I and I mean by our customers people that are in the investment management industry that are that consider themselves fiduciaries, they have to be able to document all of their process and procedures, right? So that's step number one. And the second part of that is they need technology, right? And they need workflows in wor- in order to support that documentation and those process and the procedures. And that's where our technology comes in. They're able to configure their rules, their procedures, right? Their tasks. They're able to configure that all within uh, within our technology platform there. And so by by defining the rules, writing them down, um, you know, having standard workflows, being able to configure that into technology, that enables them to take pieces of that work, right? And one of the unique things about compliance is it's not too different than giving investment advice, right? You know, it's a service level activity that requires a, a lot of individuals to to do a task or perform some level of work. And that task may be call the customer, right? Check on a legal document. Make sure you've checked about your investment policy with the customer, right? Or maybe just say, check all the holdings that the customer has, right? All of these are just, you know, we, we look at them as just an individual piece of work that a provider at a service firm needs to do, right? And so by defining all of that, they can sort of ring fence off activities and work that tends to be repetitive and low risk, and they can look at it and outsource that, right? Outsource it to an, out, to an outside firm, right? Just in the same way that technology firms outsource development, right? They'll, they have a framework and a structure, and they, tell, they go to uh, an outsourcer and they say, hey, we need, you, we need to hire somebody that's going to do this task over and over again. And that's exactly how they're looking at this from a compliance standpoint, is they're outsourcing that task and that activity, but the firm has defined that uh, that task and that activity specific to them. And then, of course, it comes around auditing, logging all that information, all that is part and parcel to ensuring that it adheres to the firm's regulatory and their business standards.
1: It sounds like there's a lot of data being generated. What kind of... Uh, quality control or or are there any other concepts that they can bring from other industries to to manage this and and make sure that that what they're what they're logging is accurate
2: yeah so there's there's a couple of really key pieces right first of all you have to have all the investment management activity right that is you know all of the positions transactions everything that's involved with managing a customer's account and providing investment management services for a fee right so you have all of that data that has to come in from the custodian right or from their primary books of record system so gathering all of that information because a lot of times when a task is being performed it's typically around transactions or holdings right it's also around things like documents right information about the customer right you know you know, hey, have they had their statement set up? You know, has somebody had a conversation with them? Right? Is the account is the account funded? Right? Those are all those are all additional data points that that don't come from the custodian that are key in managing the investment management. You know, the, the investment management accounts themselves. Right? So so you have you start with the custody data, then you layer on that all of the, what I'll call metadata around the investment management process. And the last piece of this is all the data around the workflow, the task and the activities, right? So who's working on it? When did they work on it? What were their comments on it? Was there an issue with it? Is there an exception to the work? Do they have to escalate the work, right? All of those things are sort of that third layer. So if you think about that, uh, you know, If you think about that sort of in the the old Maslow hierarchy of needs, the base is the custody data. The second level is that investment metadata, right? And then the third level of this is really that all of the data associated with the workflow and the communication between all of the people at a firm and supporting all of that. And all of that data really makes up compliance data, uh, so to speak, around the investment management process. It, and controlling that, seeing it, visualizing it, using it for workflow, that's all key to uh, ensuring that those, you know, the quality and the defined processes and procedures that a, a, that a firm has implemented, all of that data is required in order to make
1: that happen as well. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so the, the top-level or compliance is self-actualization.
2: Couldn't say it better myself. It's really about being the best firm you can be. And when you look at what the regulators ask, that's what they're asking, right? They're not asking that you have the best performance or that you're doing, you know, that you're, you know, that you're the smartest firm in the world and that you have all of these things, right? They're asking you to, to, to self-actualize and be the best you can be from a, from a servicing standpoint. Um, and so flowing through that, uh, that, that, that data, you get to that point and hopefully, you know, through best practices, policies, procedures, the right data, the right technology, the right rules and the right workflow, we can, we can enable our customers to self-actualize and realize the best investment management business that they can do. And again, I think that's what a fiduciary does, right? That's what I'm doing with the best thing for my customers. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean being right all the time, just means doing the best you can do.
1: Right. I think we just found a potential title for this podcast is the self actualization of compliance. <laughs> there you go. They need to be compliant and self actualized. <laughs> uh, exactly. It could work. Think, right, that's good teamwork there, Craig. Yeah. Well, we might find more. We have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> so, with one thing I found interesting, and you know, we were discussing this beforehand and going over some of the notes. And one, one thing I really found interesting was the adoption rate of Reg 9 processes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really a trend, a, a huge trend in the industry where they're, we're seeing mergers of or, or acquisitions where you have bank trust buying broker-dealers and then RIAs and all emerging, and they've got to go to the highest or the lowest standard, whichever you prefer. And Reg 9 is the highest standard, so they're, they're pushing that out of, across all their other divisions which didn't normally have that. That's something you're seeing, and how does that impact
2: those other parts of the division? Yeah, it's absolutely something we're seeing. And a lot of our customers, like I said, they'll have, you know, a lot of them have, have had a traditional bank trust, you know, what I'll call high net worth or ultra high net worth. Some people call it a family office. Uh, they've gone out and acquired RIAs, whether those RIAs have been asset managers or they've been other wealth management firms, right, where they're maybe managing family assets or they have a specialty um, in a particular area. And then the the larger firms that also have a broker-dealer offering where they're offering fee-based, you know, services, uh, managed account services, right? The regulators that come in and do the examination on the bank, they're going to look for the highest standard. And what they found is, you know, and again, it goes back to that institutional control. Do they have control over all the investment management services that are being provided to the customer, regardless of, you know, the registration, so to speak, right? They're looking to go to that highest standard. And what they found is, you know, the the review process and the process that the regulators on the OCC, on the bank side of this, have done around the, you know, asset management per se, you know, that has been there's a high level of scrutiny around that and so we're seeing our customers that have those situations they're starting to look at this and adopt the adopt the investment review process right because really it's not just an investment review process, it's an investment management process right and they're making sure whether regardless of maybe they have to do a particular FINRA rule check or the you know they have to disclose something on their form form ADV. Uh, as part of the, their RIA registration, right? They have to make sure that there's institutional control over what's happening in the accounts every day, right? Are we adhering to the asset allocation we sat down with our customer? You know, are we, you know, do we hold the right holdings, right? Whether it's, you know, a share class or whether it's junk bonds or whatever it is, all of those things are now being looked at, uh, you know, in a broader sense here. And by by consolidating that investment management process across those three sort of divisions, so to speak, you know, there it may be a little bit onerous in the beginning, but they'll have an overall reduction of costs because what it enables them to do is then move down to a single governance structure, right? They'll they'll have a you know they'll have a single risk structure, um, right? So they may have a, a chief risk officer. So now the risk officer is not getting a separate Committee oversight document from the from the BD side of the business versus the RIA versus the the bank trust or the wealth side of it they're getting a unified view of that and as you as compliance becomes more and more part and parcel to all of the investment management business and, and being a fiduciary in that it's probably less expensive to implement the the OCC investment review process which seems to have a high level of stringent rules in there. It's it's cheaper to implement it across all those levels and then and then basically unify all of your governance and your committee levels because those governments and committee levels those are all high level executives, right? A compliance committee at a large financial institution or a large bank that has multiple things of that, you have some pretty heavy hitters in there as far as you know the type of folks, the salaries, the amount of time that they're spending on it and they're all you know, they're all on the hook, right? Nobody wants to get fined by the regulators, whether it's, you know, whether it's the SEC, the OCC, nobody wants to get it. Nobody wants to get dinged on the regulators. So that that implementation of a unified compliance process around the investment management business, we're seeing as, as, a, as a heavy trend.
1: That would seem to be something that you'd want anyway. It's who wants to be managing multiple reports from multiple different divisions and it's, it, it becomes confusing because the, the number of reports are, are multiplying.
2: Absolutely. The more branches oh. you have on that compliance tree, the more chances you have to getting dinged for not having that, you know, that institutional control over the, over the business. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, solidifying that down to a sort of a single trunk and then making sure that all of this feeds up into the up into the higher branches in, a, in an efficient manner is, is a key piece of that. Um, and you can just look at you know the the fines that Finra and the SEC have levied and the OCC have levied on firms over the last two or three years. A lot of it has to do with that control and the communication of information along the way, all the way from the operational folks up to the executive level.
1: So with all these reports coming in and all this data, is there a high number of false positives where things are being triggered when they shouldn't be, or is, or is that not really a problem?
2: No, that's actually a real. That's a real big problem. You have to, you know, if you're if you're looking at a large firm, right, and you have, you know, across your wealth management division, you have fifty, seventy-five thousand, 75,000, hundred thousand accounts, right. You have to. It has to be done management by exception. So you need to be able to implement your, your rules, right? You're in the, you have to be able to implement your specific rules in the rules engine, and they have to be very precise, right? So that you don't have those, you know, uh, those false positives, right? You have to narrow down um, the rules in the rules engine to identify where the risk at is at. And then through that identification, that proper identification, it really brings to light where you're where sort of the problem children exists, right? And you can focus on that. And a lot of times the the regulators will come in and they're happy to see because they know nobody has a perfect business, right? Like that's not what they're looking for they're not looking for perfection they're looking for firms that have instituted a management by exception process that brings to light risk areas and that again that risk can be a holding risk it could be a trading risk you know all sorts of different things when it, when the when they have when they have systems that enable them to do that and then they have a process and a procedure right so in our system we have rules right we call them Alerts and these alerts create triggers, or excuse me, we have rules that are called triggers, and they alert, (laughs) they create alerts. I apologize. We went from uh, we had flags before, and we just changed it to alerts here. So over this uh, over our latest release, so we have triggers that are defined by the firm, and they get defined as you know, hey, for example, it's a concentration flag, right? They may have a rule that says, hey, if it's a funder in ETF, right? Our concentration percentage is six or seven percent within the account, right But if it's an individual stock or an individual bond, they may set a concentration level down to three or five percent, right And then they may dictate what type of what type of stocks, right If it's a small cap stock, maybe it can't be more than two or three percent, right like, so the ability to configure your rules and your rules engine the proper way and then ensure when that, when that alert happens, right oh, here's an account my God, the customer brought in something in kind and it, and it triggered one of the alerts, right? Now they wanna make sure that there's a process in place for the advisor or a centralized team to look at it and say, oh, okay, yes, this customer transferred in kind, this particular security, the, the advisor has already had a follow-up call and there's a plan in place to trade out of that security once it moves from short-term capital gains to long-term capital gains and that's gonna happen in 45 days. That entire, what I just talked about, that has to be identified, documented, and stored and logged in a system somewhere. And that's really what our system does. And then there's aging. You know, If it goes past 45 days and there's an issue, the firm, whether it's the chief investment officer or a committee, they have to know, hey, by the way, this exception that was generated 40 days ago still hasn't, be, hasn't been addressed. So they have to have a way for to alert the user, hey, somebody has to take action on it. And again, it's all of that communication about what this issue is and how is it being addressed and making sure there's institutional oversight on the entire process and then the entire process is documented. That's a pretty lengthy process.
1: If you had to do
2: that across every holding, it would take you a significantly large amount of time. That's why management by exception rule by exception is critical in order to be able to, for these firms to keep their sanity and really identify the risk areas.
1: you have to. You can't possibly do this all manually.
0: I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program Uh, Again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, Another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S. Dot O-R-G. With all these this talk about
1: oversight and and regulation and and this the immensity of data, can you share me, with all, in all the experience you've had? I mean you've been an invested almost 20 years now, so you've seen it all. What can you share best practices around bank trust regulation, oversight, process? How can firms improve the the way they're they're doing this?
2: A lot of our customers right now are in the middle of transforming their, they're really what they're in the middle of is assimilating their regulatory process with their standard investment process. So I think that's probably the best, you know, the, the the first part of this, right, is how I merge our regulatory, what we have to, how we have to check the box to the regulators, but how we're also checking and merging that into how we're managing our business every day. And the firms that are doing that, they're finding they're reducing both their, like for example, account onboarding. That's a very intensive process. It's very, there's a significant amount of risk around it, right? So how are they they merging their account onboarding process with their investment process. So in our system, that's called the initial review. And it's really that blend of, you know, in the account onboarding process, there's, there's custodial things that has to be done. There's legal documentation. There's a lot of check the box stuff that has to be done. That's merged now into their compliance process. So they're, ad- they're adhering that the investment process and the compliance process are really the same, and through that merging, they're, they're achieving better risk results, and they're also reducing their workflows, right? They don't have an account onboarding process and an initial review process and have them separated. They're now the same process, and the same resources that step through the account onboarding process are the ones that step through the initial review process, right? So that really is checking the box in two areas, right? Another area that, um, you know, that they're looking at is, you know, how are they engaging the customer, right? What's the ongoing customer engagement, right? Have we, you know, in the, you know, what I'll say in the OCC, and I'm doing the air quotes here and in, in saying, there's guidelines in there to say, hey, you need to be at least reaching out to your customer once a year, and it has to be documented. That that engagement process, dot, you know, engaging the customer, making sure that's documented, making sure all of the, you know, and a customer engagement's not just the advisor or the rep out in the field picking up the phone and talking to the customer. It's sending that quarterly performance report, right? It may be accessed through a, through a client portal. You know, it may be sending a piece of information out to the customer via the client portal. Those are all customer engagements right there. And the more that you bring those in and you can, you can join those in that process into your, your regulatory process and you're showing the regulators that you're doing that, the key to that is you're showing them you have an established process. You're, you're showing them that you're not just managing a bunch of, of, uh, of customer accounts for fees and implementing investment advice, right? You're now really managing your, your entire engagement with the customer and you've assimilated that with the overall regulatory processes and you've assimilated that with your business processes and your business risk. So that's really that men that merging of not making regula- your regulatory process this outside process, but merging it in and then showing that to the regulators. Again, it goes back to that institutional level control. You know, you have to be if the regulators come in, you have to be able to you know easily tell them everything that's happening in that in your investment management. book of business. What are your exceptions? Where are your policies being violated? How do you have customers that are out of their tactical asset allocation? You've got to be able to show them that instantaneously. You can't run a bunch of reports and say, hey, we're going to get back to you in two weeks or three weeks. So that entire process is a daily process, right? And then once you have that daily process and you have that insight, then you have to have an oversight process, right? And that oversight process includes governance structure, right? Who's, lo- o- who's overseeing everything that's happening, right? You know, how are we communicating to the people out in the field, the front office folks, right? Who's overseeing those people and making sure the work that they're supposed to complete is being done? And then it's how does that go to the compliance committee? And then how does it go from the compliance committee to the risk committee or to the executive committee? So all of that process, how that process then folds into the governance structure is really important. And again, to do all of this manually or by spreadsheets or by Word documents, to be able to gather all of that and give a picture of what's happening in the firm and then what, how your oversight is, you really need technology to help the firms do that. That's probably you know, the, the best practices. And then I think what we're starting to see, and you referred to it earlier, Craig, is we're looking and seeing a lot of that blocking and tackling, that day in and day out blocking and tackling that maybe was the responsibility of the front office advisor or rep, right? That blocking and tackling now is now going to a centralized team. And they're not putting that onus on the advisors because they want the advisors communicating to the customers, talking to them about products, producing, getting that, you know, building those relationships. That's critical stuff that they want to continue to have happen. And they're taking that, a lot of that heavy-duty compliance thing, those compliance activities, and putting it into you know, what I'll say is a middle or a back-office back model. But all the time, the front office people have to have insight. So the technology needs to let the front office people know that, hey, they may not be checking in on a legal document or looking at a a bond that doesn't have a current bond rating right now, has a bond rating of NR, right, to make sure it's not a junk bond. They They may not be doing that activity, but they need the oversight to understand so that if something does pop up, they know how to handle it or they can escalate that to their manager.
1: So these compliance governance structures are really becoming the overall governance structure. It's not just compliance anymore because you're merging investment management with compliance.
2: Absolutely, we're seeing at the you know even at the smaller firms, you know the concept of risk and compliance is a you know the that's a key component of the entire executive governance structure you know, what we see for our larger institutions and even our smaller institutions now, on the investment side, they'll have a centralized oversight committee and that, that committee will be responsible for reviewing all of the alerts or tasks. They'll validate that the work is up to the standards of the firm, right? So we, uh, with our latest release, we just implemented the, one, a concept of quality control that we, that we sort of took from the manufacturing process here, right? They, they randomly sample work to make sure that that work is to the standard that the firm has set and established and then also to the regulatory standards. So that centralized oversight committee does all of that secondary checking. 10, 15 years ago, Craig, a lot of times that was on the onus of a manager of the advisors, right? Or the managers of, in our world, the trust administrative officer, right? They were put down now because... Compliance and risk is such a key component and and part of, you know, you know, the chief risk officer is, you know, sitting at the executive level, just like, you know, this chief operating officer at most of these financial firms now. They're putting that that committee in place to make sure that the standards that the firms have established exist, right? And then that firm is that those people are also responsible to make sure, hey, are we implementing best practices? Are the people that we have assigned the work to, are they the right people to do the work, right? All of that becomes, you know, becomes sort of this workflow management. And if you think about it in the context of manufacturing, providing investment advice to end customers and investors is no different than a manufacturing process, right? Except, you know, in a manufacturing process, it's actually a tangible widget that goes from each workstation, right, to each workstation, and everybody does, a, you know, oh, okay, so if you think about a car, oh, this the first part of this is somebody puts the chassis together, then somebody puts the tires on, then somebody puts the steering column on, then somebody puts the engine in, and then that's how a car is made. Well, the delivery of investment advice to an, to an end investor is really no different. Some person initially sits up and, and you know, sells the customer, right? and gathers information and demographics about the customer, puts that into their CRM system. And then they, you know, they market to that potential customer. And then they onboard that customer. And then another person helps implement investment advice. And then another person sits down with the customer and says, hey, you've had a life event. Or, or, and then another person implements trades for the customer. And then another person reviews you know, the compliance and making sure everything's done. Um, and another person generates a quarterly performance report. And then that goes out to the thing. So all of that is a manufactured process. It just happens to be a right. recurring process that happens all the time. And so mm-hmm. we're looking at taking, you know, they're really seeing that, that, that compliance and that governance structure is really a manifestation of all of that activity. And making sure that all of that workflow is happening in the proper way and, and ensuring that there's oversight to that.
1: With the OCC now getting more involved with more companies, I mean, how many institutions can, is the OCC regulating? And is that going to be a problem where they're going, to get, they're going to get bogged down with too many companies to oversee? Well, I think that's always the
2: challenge with government, right? <laughs> so right now, the OCC regulates about – Thirteen hundred financial firms right now, and that re- represents about twelve trillion in assets. And that, and those twelve trillion in assets aren't all investment management assets, right? It's a, it's depository. It's a whole mix of of, uh, of different types of assets. Anything that that any cash that basically runs through, or any asset that runs through a bank, is being regulated by the, uh, by the firm, right? By the OCC. And they have annual bank reviews. And actually, they're moving into a process where they're going to, for healthy institutions, they're moving to an 18-month right, review cycle or you know, where they'll come in and do an assessment. You know, so if you, if you have a good track record of process and procedures, you may be able in the future to keep the OCC regulators not coming every year, but ever coming every 18 months. So that's something that just sort of came about and they're talking about that. The other thing that's really interesting is that they are opening up bank charters to fintech companies. So this is just something that's just sort of come down the the pike. It, was, it had been talked about there. And that's really interesting in a sense that it's always been, you know, depository companies, trust companies, you know, uh, savings and loans and banks, right? That's who they were really, you know, that's who they were focused on. And there used to be a, an OTCS, an Office of Through. Thrift and supervisory, and I think OTCS used to do savings and loans back in the day, but they were folded under the OCC a while back. I don't remember when, but there used to be the OTS and the OCC. Now they're offering fintech companies, right, the ability to get regulated nationally, right, by the OCC, right. So, so in in and again, this is something new here an interesting turn of events here and and clearly the OCC feels like they have the capacity to do this this is another regulatory channel for a firm that says let's maybe i want to put implement robo advice right to all of my customers right and i you know i don't want to t- i'm not a bank right? I'm not in, I don't want to be in the retail banking business, right? I just want to take checks in for our customers and bring those checks in and offer them investment advice. And I don't want to go state by state to do this, right? So now they've, they're opened an opportunity to offer bank charters to these fintech companies. And there's a lot of constraints, and I'm clearly not the subject matter expert on this. so anybody should take a look at, uh, at some of the recent articles. There was a good one on Harvard Law and Review about this, right? and adhere to you know, and refer to your attorneys clearly, and your compliance people. But the, you know, it's an interesting turn in a sense that, you know, if you're a, if you're a little RIA, you have to go and establish all of the, you know, depending on where you're, where you're started at, what state, you, have to, you may have to jump through a lot of state-level regulation, right? And if you're looking to move from state to state, right, every time you do that, there's a cost associated with it, right? This way, you know, if you look at the OCC and what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we're offering you a way to give you a national, you know, regulatory agent. And we, you know, and again, how this is all works and everything like that. It's interesting perspective to see what will happen to it, what will the impact on RIAs and the broker dealers will be on this. I don't really know, and the uh, the ultimate impact. But I think you brought up a good point: is do they have the capacity to do this? So one thing that they do is they do collect a lot of fines, so money it doesn't tend to be yeah. an issue for them.
1: I was going to uh, ask you about that. Well, why the you know the fines went up? From forty fifty million to seven hundred and fifty million last year. What what caused that?
2: Well, I think you know one of the things, and I'll go back, and I don't want to specifically call out any firms because uh, you know there's a lot of devil in the details that you don't see in in a lot of the information that's disclosed, right? And again, same thing. If you look at it, if you look at who Finra's finding and the SEC finding, you don't never know all of the details. I will say from my observation, and clearly I'm not an attorney and, I don't, and I'm not the, the subject matter expert on, on this, but a lot of this goes back to that concept of institutional control. Do you have oversight right. of your business every day? Can you understand where you have weaknesses and risk in your business? And no business, no financial firm, no bank, no technology company, nobody operates in a risk-free environment, right? They're, they're the biggest theme that comes from the, from the regulators here is, do you have oversight? Do you have control? And is there an action plan? And do you have the policies and procedures to make sure that you, you understand that? And then back to that governance structure again. Can the information go from the operational folks all the way up to the executive levels so people know where, where exactly the risk exists, in specifically in our world, is around the investment management side of the of the business here. So that big increase in fines tends to be more around, you'll if you look at the trends, tends to be more around institutional control than a specific violation of a particular rule, right? It tends to be like, hey, they didn't know this was going on. Now. You know, there's you know, the violations of capital requirements and those types of thing on the banking side of this. Those are all very much balance sheets driven, and those do make up a, a portion of this. But after the, after the 2008 downturn in the market and all of the changes in the laws and the regulations, you know, most of those firms are realizing how they need to be capitalized the next iteration of this is making sure that their investment management business has or, or their entire business has the proper oversight and
1: control. Oversight, oversight, oversight. They really need that. And there's no getting around it. And it's just, it's, it's just getting more and more complicated.
2: It is. It is. And as, as firms begin to outsource investment advice, right, and outsource activities and all that, it just adds to the complexity of that, Right. So, for example, our customers that use outside managers, right, they'll use our technology to bring that outside manager's model in. In our system, we have to be able to delineate that, hey, if manager XYZ says, it's okay to hold this stock. Maybe it's something that they, the firm considers a SIN stock, right? And they don't want to hold it in their, in their, as part of their core portfolio. They don't want the customers to, to hold it individually, right? They may have to have the rules and the rules engine, the exception that gets generated there has to alert that says, hey, this is held in an account where there's not a manager managing that via a model, right? Or this is an, a separate SMA account where somebody actually has the discretion on that the system needs to be able to to differentiate between those two instances or those two positions of the same asset one's being held because the manager that they hired directed them to, to hold it and the other one's being held in a you know in let's just say a discretionary account that's an investment management account
1: right so, so, is there any limit with with your system? Is there any limit to the number of accounts? You know, is is a bank with 35,000 accounts or a bank with 100,000 accounts would they still be able to use your solution?
2: Yeah. So there's no there's no limitation, right? So we have horizontal scale scalability. So we have a distributive system because those rules that we run every day to check everything to make sure everything is in balance it does take time. So for our customer. For our customers where there's a hundred thousand accounts, that takes more time than our customers that have ten thousand accounts. But we have the ability to scale that horizontally and be able to address that uh, the volume of accounts, uh, you know, as uh, you know, and basically just throw more hardware at our, you know, at our rules engine and our algorithm that basically goes through and, and uh, creates all of those alerts. So, so we haven't found a limitation yet, and uh, you know, we don't really expect to. And to be honest, with the hardware technology today, the database technology today that's in play, we don't see there's issue. I, to be honest, our compliance tables pale in comparison to our historical performance and market value tables, right? There's sure I do. They, there's a lot less data in those tables, so we've stressed our we've stressed our tables and pieces of our applications to much greater boundaries than the, than the than the compliance uh,
1: part of this process. <laughs> good, good to know, Jeff. I really appreciate your time. This has been super informative, very helpful. Thanks for sharing all this great information with my audience.
2: Craig, thank you for having me. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, again, if, uh, if you have any other questions, uh, don't hesitate to ask. And anybody on the, on the podcast, they can reach out to me at jcowley at InvestEdge as well.
1: Fantastic. And that's investedge.com, right? That's correct. Yes. Awesome. Have a great one, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.